Leading a state or local government agency in the U.S., but finding it hard to get rid of operational and technological inefficiencies? You don't need to look any further, because help is here. Welcome to Rethink IT with Abhijit Virakar, a podcast dedicated to helping municipal leaders, city and county managers, mayors, CIOs, city or county council members, and others rethink IT and make government more efficient. Hello and welcome to today's episode of Rethink IT with me, A.V. My guest today is Ben Bentley from Knoxville's Community Development Corporation, KCDC. Ben, welcome. Thank you, A.V. It's great to be here. Ben, you and I were on the same 40 under 40 class and you've been a client of mine and I've really enjoyed talking to you. What I wondered though is how do you find yourself as the CEO of KCDC? What's your personal story? That's a great question, and I'll try to keep that under five minutes. So you never know where, what path you're going to take when you begin a career. As a pretty young child, that I wanted to work in government, and I wanted to do something that was impactful for people. But if you had told me that I was going to get into the business of affordable housing, that would not have been anything I ever would have considered. I would have thought, oh, it's more impactful for me to work on educational policy issues or, you know, something completely different. Work for the State Department and go do international relations or diplomacy or something like that. But sometimes you end up on a path and you... It, for whatever reason, it ends up being the right place for you at the right time. So I started my career with HUD um, at the federal level as part of the Presidential Management Fellowship Program. That was a great two-year introduction, number one, to what the federal government is like, number two, to what HUD is like. And I got a real chance to meet with some high-level people at HUD and begin to understand the programs that they offer and the impacts that those programs have on individuals' lives, not just in Knox County, Tennessee, but really across the whole country. So once I got my foot wet in the area of affordable housing and urban development, that was something that I figured out I really liked and enjoyed, and I've bounced around a little bit, lived in Nashville for a while, Denver, Colorado for a little while, and now Knoxville, Tennessee. But in all of these stops, the common denominator is that there is a, a significant need for more affordable housing and also additional investment in areas of education, workforce development, transportation, health, a lot of these different issues around communities and neighborhoods where affordable housing exists. So those are some of the things that I'm passionate about and that we are working on here locally and that I know other folks are working on in communities across the country. And we're thrilled to have you in Knoxville, Ben. I enjoy every interaction we have. Most recently, you and I have been talking about innovation and technology and what that means to you and your agency. And of course, that's the subject matter of this podcast. We, we could talk about everything all day. But tell me what, you, what the word innovation means to you, because it gets thrown around a lot. So I think innovation is continually trying to seek new solutions to old problems. So, I mean, in our business, property management is sort of the foundation of what we do. And we have to be good at that. And that's not a new business. That's been around for several centuries now. But there are new technologies that are enabling us to do that more effectively, whether that is the operating, the sort of technological enterprise operating systems that we utilize to be able to do financial management and also our leasing activities, whether that's more building information management systems that allow us 
And by the way, we're just dipping our foot into this. There's other organizations and governments that have been doing this a long time, but that allow you in real time to get data back from some of your physical buildings to say, hey, this is uh, your building right now from an energy usage standpoint is underperforming what we would expect. What is the problem and how do we fix it? And with sort of pinpoint accuracy, those systems can help us to identify problems in real time and to solve them before they amount to, you know, extra tens of thousands on a utility bill or whatever the case may be. So I guess that was a long-winded way of saying that we're trying to continually improve ourselves and work toward new solutions on things that we've been working on for many years. Is there a difference in how those things work at the HUD level in a larger city like Nashville or Denver and Knoxville? What have you found to be difference in approaches to, to technology in different regions you've worked in? That's a huge question, but at the federal level, there tends to be an emphasis, um, if you're familiar with the, the federal appropriations process, which is so boring, I won't go on with that for much longer, but there's a tendency to continue to fund programs that already exist. So at HUD, there are all these existing programs. There's a cost of living, an inflationary increase every year. And so the programs tend to get funded, maybe at 100%, maybe at a little less, but there's not an emphasis on making additional investments that are needed to really improve the performance or efficiency of those programs. So technology, a lot of times, and systems at the federal level are 10 or 15 years old, extremely outdated and inefficient. And that's just because there's not a will to really reinvest in those systems and those platforms that would make the programs work more effectively. Now, there, I would say there's a pretty big difference just in terms of the timing and the momentum around technological innovation in big cities versus small cities. And this stuff always uh, this is not always true. There are some small cities that are extremely sophisticated and some large cities that lag behind. But from what I've seen, just like any other trend in our society, uh, large cities tend to take the front role and the lead role in terms of really pushing innovation. And I would say with technology and implementation, uh, smart cities, a lot of the, there's a lot of lingo around smart yeah. cities, but all of those topics they really do. And in Nashville and Denver, they're probably a little bit ahead of what we typically see in Knoxville just because there's more people working on these issues. They're also, back to the funding thing, there tends to be more funding available to do things in larger cities. And so I think they sort of push the envelope a little more in those areas. But, but Knoxville has, for a city of our size, I think, and I don't want to speak for the city of Knoxville because I am just one small part of the housing piece, but I think that we've done a really nice job in terms of implementing some things in the way of management of our infrastructure, and some things that are just very small. I love the use of our parking system where you can sort of, they can monitor that, I think, in real time. And yeah. it's, you, can pay, you can pay for it with a credit card as opposed to me having to dig through my pocket for quarters. All those little things tend to add up to a better quality of life. And then they also make these systems that government tends to operate a little more efficient than they would otherwise be. So I know that your job involves staying on top of a lot of things and how fast technology is moving. It's, I find it difficult to keep up with things, right? So how do you, what kind of mechanisms do you have in place to stay on top of things and just separate the riffraff from actually what might be useful to you? Yeah, so that's a really challenging thing. We're not a huge organization. We have 
about 130 employees, all based in Knox County, Tennessee. So for us, we have to rely on outside expertise. We have a wonderful IT department that has a staff of three. So they can do a lot, but they can't do everything no matter how great they are. And so we have to rely on outside consultants like yourself that help us with for instance, right now our organization is going through uh, the selection, the evaluation and selection of our enterprise software system, which is, from an IT standpoint, probably the single largest decision that we'll make over the next five years. We have to get it right. And while we know from a property management standpoint, from a development standpoint, what are the things we need this system to do, it is really hard for us to translate that from a technological standpoint into this is the system that's going to operate the best for us over a five-year period. It's going to pair well with all of the other, like the payroll functions and the administrative functions of our agency. So we have to rely on other folks. I wish there was a better answer, like, well, I have this magazine that tells me everything I need to know, but that doesn't exist. And so I think really tapping into the expertise of folks that focus on IT is so important for small and medium-sized, well, I'm speaking from the governmental entity perspective, sure. but I think that's probably true of business as well. And I'm sure another challenge you probably face is, I mean, you have a lot of vision in your role as a visionary. You think of things to make things better for your constituents, for your workers. Do you find it challenging to translate that vision to the IT workers saying, I need something done, get it done? Is there a translation difficulty there? So I would say for the most part, no. I think the biggest challenge um, from our organization standpoint is we are sounding like a broken record, but we're 98% funded by the federal government, by HUD, and the funds to do something dramatic in the way of IT. So let's say we want to retrofit our four very large elderly high-rise buildings with all this sophisticated building information technology. There's no capital source of funds that we can really effectively do that with. We're doing really good just to manage the backlog of capital needs that we have for elevators and flooring and sinks and toilets and all that stuff. So there's, that, that would be the biggest challenge. It's not so much letting IT staff understand what we need. It's more about identifying the resources. And also, I'd say a second piece of that is identifying and sort of trying to quantify what we're going to get out of that investment over a five or 10 year period. So if we're going to make this investment that's $5 million in a building, what is the payback time? Just like any other capital investment, you have to understand that. I think that's really challenging. And I know there are folks out there that can help us with that. You know, that's a great answer, Ben. You can't always prioritize technology because you have so many other things going on. We in the tech industry seems, seem to think that's number one priority always, right? But it's not grand reality. One of the other things, you mentioned buzzwords and you mentioned smart city earlier. You're not a city manager, but some of the same principles apply to your organization, right? Where do you think smart technology is headed in the public housing sector? I will talk about an issue that's really hot right now, not just from a public housing standpoint, but also nationwide. So obviously, what we're seeing with COVID and how that's impacting individuals and families in a number of different ways. But one of those is school begins to go back into session. 
that's really manifesting itself right now is the historic digital divide is being magnified. Absolutely. Uh, it's been in existence for a long time, but people are really taking note of it. I think that investment from a municipal perspective and the gaps that exist in telecommunications and internet accessibility particularly is extremely important. The people that we serve at our sites, low and moderate income families, are the folks that tend to not have access to internet at all or the access that they have is spotty or not affordable. So trying to fill some of those gaps. The challenge is that infrastructure takes time to build out. So it's not, there's not an overnight solution to that, but I feel like a transition moving toward internet and other, there's probably some other telecommunications aspects as well as more of a utility. I view it as a utility, but like water, like sewer, like electrical, that people need to thrive and people need to succeed in life. That's the biggest transition that I see. And I think that's, beginning now um but that'll take a decade two decades to make happen you mentioned utility it absolutely is you expect light bulbs to turn on when you flip the switch you just expect wi-fi to be there and usable well and just to add to that i mean we folks that have office jobs or a lot of people that are a little more affluent tend to take that for granted as if wi-fi is everywhere because Maybe it happens to be everywhere that we go or most places that we go, but that's just not the case for everyone. And so I think one of government's roles is acknowledging that and trying to, if there is a gap and there's a social need, which clearly there is, then filling that gap needs to be a priority. And I know that in our region, there's there's several efforts going on to try and solve that problem from KTEC to KC to, you know, the Enox initiative. So hopefully we can come up with something there ongoing basis, the the role of the CIO, let's talk about that a little bit, in a small or large agency has traditionally been the person that keeps the the lights on and makes sure your desktop works. What are your thoughts on how that role has evolved or will evolve in the next couple of years? So you use the word visionary and it's hard to, I mean, there aren't many true visionaries out there, but CIO role is going to have to be someone that not only has command of the technical sort of the subject matter expertise and whatever the needs of an organization are, but they're going to have to more importantly see how they can tie together what an organization or business is doing with what's coming on the horizon in the next one, two, and five-year periods. So I think that forward-looking, this is not a fair characterization, but someone that comes from a strict like programming background or maybe a hardware background and has a very black and white regimented way of thinking is probably not going to make the best CIO. In the, in the coming years, you're going to need somebody that is saying, these are the trends on that are here today, but here's more importantly what's coming down the pike and how do we get out in front of this and make the right investments to really improve efficiency, but more importantly, deliver whatever service we're trying to deliver to the community. So more forward thinking, strategic thinking, and not just looking at what we already have. Yeah, and I think a lot of large governments may already have, I mean, it's hard to find those folks, but I think there are many examples in the public sphere of people that already do that, but I think that trend will continue to progress. Yeah, and, you know, something to add there is the use of data, right? Big data is another term that we throw around a lot, but what does that mean? I think it'll be critical for the CIOs to 
understand the data your organization is producing and make meaningful decisions or present them to you, data sets, and say, hey, we think this is the trend. What do you think? And help you make those critical decisions. Yeah, that's absolutely right. So with most federal programs, I mean, number one, we're very careful to make sure that the data that we receive is, is secure. But once you have a secure system in place, you're right, utilizing that data to make organizational decisions is critical. HUD actually allows us, not only allows, they require us to capture a lot of tenant-based data. So if we can see trends and needs based on the data that we already collect, then it's very clear that that's going to help us move the organization in an area that will fill those needs. So yeah, your, your point's a great one. Ben, what has been the biggest challenge you've taken on as, you know, as either the CEO or, or part of the leadership in the public housing authority so far? So historically, public housing, the program, it's a, it's a specific federal program, has been underfunded, particularly with capital funds. So there's actually a rule under public housing that we as an organization, even though we manage 3,500 units, could not borrow any money to make capital improvements on those units until very recently. Now HUD has relaxed some of those rules. So over the past four or five years, HUD has enabled housing authorities to be able to make those kinds of upgrades. That timeline happens to coincide to roughly when I've started working for the housing authority in Nashville and now in Knoxville. So really recapitalizing large housing portfolios that in many cases the units were built anytime from the late 30s to the 40s, 50s, and 60s and have not had a major recapitalization since those initial construction periods, there's a lot of a backlog there and we've been working to fill that. So over the last three years at KCDC, we've invested, uh, if you look at replacement of units, so like new construction and also rehabilitation in our 3,500 unit portfolio, we've invested over 100 million in those units. We've got a lot more that we want to do, a lot more that we need to do, but there's just such a backlog, and this really gets to how do you quantify the benefit of technological investment relative to replacing a sink or a toilet. I mean, obviously, the things that are related to the basics of an apartment and a resident's quality of life, you've got to do those things, so there's not a choice there, but then there's some more aesthetic decisions that you can start to make, and making choices between aesthetics, I mean, safety, technology, all those things are related and how, how you measure them and how you decide ultimately is, is going to be a big part of what we do moving forward. Well, and hopefully your tech upgrades will help you make those data-driven decisions in the near future. Ben, is there anything else you want to talk about or discuss? I've run through my list of topics. Well, I don't really know at this point what kind of value I could add to your uh, <laughs> Your listener here. Uh, I'm obviously not, my background is not technology, but everybody has to know a little bit about it or right. they're going to fail. So I think you've exhausted my knowledge. I think you have more than you give yourself credit for. <laughs> and also, I mean, this, the podcast is supposed to be for people like you and me. Look, I may pull it off, but I'm not a tech guy. I've got tech experts that work with me, right? So I'm trying to get the conversation going around it's not scary. What you're thinking is the right way of thinking. And let's find a way to translate that to active products and services that we can make life better for everybody. But Ben, thank you for coming on today. I know you're a busy guy, but appreciate your time. Thanks for having me, A.B. Yeah. 
We have just concluded another information-driven episode of Rethink IT. Join us again next week and continue to discover how to rethink IT and implement new and better ways to deliver world-class government services. To access the show notes and other episodes, or to learn more about working with Abhijit Verikar and Avero Advisors, visit averoadvisors.com forward slash rethink IT. We hope to see you again next time so we can continue to build a smarter government. Until next time.